Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Renee was recorded on January 19th, 2023. My name is Renee, and I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. Uh, so hello, everyone. Um, and uh, so I, I, it's, I don't know that I've ever talked this long or, you know, about in, in such detail as I, I will get into it in a sec, but... So uh, I always feel a little nervous, um, and then when when things get rolling, I usually do okay. And so last night I was talking to TD for just a little bit as we we're kind of touching base, and I said, "Oh, that's a long time." And she said, "Oh, well, think about it as ex- experience, strength, and hope um, for um, fifteen minutes each, you know, and then that'll be the time." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's a good way to think of it." So, uh, and today I I uh, I um, I worked, and so I'm, I'm a high school teacher. And I also had a therapist appointment. And so throughout the day, uh, so forth, I was thinking of little things, jotting down notes. So every so often, I'll look at my little note card here, but most of the time I won't, obviously. Um, so I wanted to uh, um, um, start by sort of talking about the experience piece and like what it was like for me um, in terms of just the, I don't know how to say it, but I guess growing up in, in a dysfunctional family. And I was trying to think about, there were times in my life that when I look back that were like um, super powerful, almost like that they stand by themselves in a way. Uh, obviously, it's, you know, when you, when, you, when you see your life, it's all kind of a part of a piece. But uh, I want to talk a little bit um, about, about um, some, some, some incidences. And um, and then just go from there. So um, I I grew up. My parents were what are called braceros. So we grew up working out in the fields. Um, uh, in I was born in Texas, and so we we did some picking there and some field work there. Then we moved to Tucson, and we picked some some out in the fields there, and in a little town nearby called Nogales. Um, and then we moved up to Santa Rosa, which is in California, and we picked up there for a while. Uh, wine country, uh, apples, etc. Um, it's a it's a kind of a, a kind of an intense life. It's super super poor. I, it's weird now that I um, I'm 61, and now that I it's so funny when I look back, I realize how unique some of those things are. So anyway, it is not an exaggeration to say that I was born like the first house that we had in Edbasu where I was born, dirt floor, uh, no, um, it was. Um, there were no windows. There were two doors, a dirt floor, no running water, um, and like that. And the funniest thing of all is, for all that poverty, I felt very deeply um, loved and connected. It's kind of weird to say, but I have very fond memories uh, of that time in the sense of just a tremendous amount of warmth and love and care for. Um, that got shattered pretty quick early on, I would say, but but my first five or six years, it's quite amazing. Um, and then when we moved to Tucson, um, is you know we 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 had a a house that had three rooms. It was a, a big living room, 
my mom and dad's bedroom and then the bathroom. And the bathroom had running water and we had a shower and toilet that flushed. Um, and I started to go to school there. And when I was at school, I um, there was a teacher. And to be really honest, she was just a really, you know, in, in a lot of recovery uh, programs, they say the saying, you know, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> so um, she was a deeply damaged person. <laughs> and unfortunately, um, she ended up abusing me a lot. Uh, I have very, very vivid memories. And I won't go into great detail, but I think it's helpful just to see, especially as I get later on. I have a couple of memories and, and you can imagine some of the abuse, so I'm not going to get into the details of it. But at one point, I just very much remember one of my earliest memories of my interaction with her was she, I was talking to my neighbor next to me. <laughs> and by the way, I'm a teacher now. I know it's not cool to, to talk when the teacher's talking and all that. Okay, so, it, you know, I get it. But anyway, she came up to me and she said, um, she said, um, Mr. Sanchez, what language were you speaking? And she was obviously a Caucasian woman and all that. And she, so I don't remember why. I mean, I was always a smart alecky kid and I'm bright and all that stuff. So I turned to her and we had studied like the pyramids or something. And so I just said like Egyptian or something. I, I just said, or Greek, I think I said. And I thought it was hilarious. And all the kids laughed. And so, you know, when you're a little kid and you're, you're like this, I just hit pay dirt. I, I, you know, I, I, everybody's laughing and I made a good joke and uh, she did not see it that way. So she got my hands and put them on the you know, table and she whacked them with a ruler until they bled essentially. She kept hitting me and I kept, I didn't want to cry. So I said, you know, she kept saying, have you learned your lesson? I remember just saying, I don't know. I don't know. And she, you know, hit him some more and all that. And, um, and all the while she was doing this, I, you know, and at one point I remember thinking, oh, man, I'm going to start crying. So I hope she stops soon. And luckily she did. She said, OK, I think you learned your lesson. And I went to the restroom and I still remember washing my hands and seeing the little pieces of, of flesh going into the sink. And I'm sure you all know, you know, dissociation and the nature of trauma memory. Um, it, that was just the beginning of a long litany. She called my mom part. And again, this is harsh, but she called my mom a whore. My dad said we could we shouldn't be in this country. Um, she then later on she did a sexual abuse that was in the guise of um of uh what do you call it of of trying to make it up to me. And uh now when that happened, I need to tell you something about when it happened because that, it's so important to the healing part of the journey for me. Is we were working out in the fields, my father had a heart attack. And he took medication and he had a really horrible reaction. And to be really honest, he got violent. He was not a violent man, but he got violent against my mom. They were, and there were brilliant people. My mom and my dad both were very brilliant people, but low education, but brilliant people. But they had heard that in America, a husband goes to jail if he's, if he hurts his wife. So he went to Mexico. They both decided, you got to go, you got to go. And so he went to Mexico for a year, the year that this happened with this teacher. And so, and quite literally, almost identically, that happened again when I was 12. It was with a male teacher in this case, but abandonment of a certain kind. My parents left to Mexico. I was, they were supposed to be gone three weeks. They were gone two and a half months. There was no food in the house because my brother was um I, I was left in the care of my oldest brother was a high schooler and my other older brother was in junior high 
and the oldest brother was an active alcoholic. And um, he, my mom would send money and he would just drink it all away. So there were no lights and I'd be digging in garbage cans. And I, I have a very vivid memory of me studying the sky so that when it got a certain kind of dark, like, you, you know, when the sun was setting, there was a, a, a little window of opportunity where you could go into your the neighbor's um, garbage cans and still see the quality of food. But also if they look through the window, you could scurry away and you would kind of, they would think that it was an animal. Um, and and I was thinking all these things and I was able to do them. And I remember also going back to these houses and telling people, my my mom called and she's, she called from Mexico and she said she was going to call you guys to say that I was going to come over for dinner. And now I look back and I realize all of them probably knew that this was all garbage and they just fed me. Thank God. Um now, I'm telling you all that because when I think of those experiences, I was trying to think about this today. What are some of the common traits of each of those traumatic sort of sections of my life? Um, and and one is, is a, a severe, severe abandonment, super severe abandonment. Um, and the other was like a neglect almost. And I don't mean just a neglect of obviously not having food. In my family, um, my, when my mom, I, I had, again, these are detailed memories that I'm trying to, when my, my dad and my mom fought that one night and then the next morning he was gone to Mexico, my mom never talked about it. She never talked about it. We ate breakfast. She had bruises on her arms. She had glasses because I'm sure her eyes were bruised. Um, and I just went to school. I was in second grade and I went to school and this teacher was doing all these crazy things. Um, years later, when I was in my 30s, I talked to my mom about it. And she said, well, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And I remember then I didn't tell her this. I don't I just don't think I had the ego strength to tell her. But I was like, Mom, where do you think I learned? not to talk about all these horrible things that are hurting me. Where do you think I learned that pattern? And I'm not blaming her. But, you know, there's an old saying by Mark Twain that says for parents, don't worry that your kids listen to everything you say, worry that they watch everything you do. Um, I watched and I knew that in our family, you don't talk like the big book says, right? Don't talk, don't feel right. And so we don't talk about it. So that's where I learned. And again, I'm not blaming. It's, it was the family dynamic. We were all surrounded by it. So the abandonment and the neglect, the neglect came in, in not just physical neglect, but almost like emotional, mental, spiritual neglect. It's, it's neglecting a person's reality, a person's experience. Um, and then the deep denial. Now, the other thing about it that's really strange about the, my experience is this, is that I told you that along with these horrible negative realities were these remarkable positive ones. And I want to give you the one that to me is still the most powerful in terms of just feeling it in my body, like a, a visceral response. When when my dad, uh, when we were out in the fields or whatever, in on Saturday, I, either it's Saturday, and I think it was Saturday cartoons because that's when the cartoons happen. But in Spanish, you call them caricaturas. So, um, on Saturday, in Saturday, my dad would wake us up, me and my older brother, Angel, 
and we would watch TV. This was in Tucson, and we had the 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 the, the house that had the three rooms. It had a window, which was kind of cool. And the window, the light would come in, and it was an old black and white TV. I don't know where we got it, but couldn't see much. But he would throw a, a blanket over. It's kind of hard. I don't know if I can do it visually, but he threw a blanket over it. He would stretch the blanket across kind of some of the room. He put it under his butt, like he turned the chair around, put it under his butt. So it create almost like a little tunnel, like a little camp, like a little tent. And we would sit inside the tent and watch the cartoons. And he would make us this thing called ponche, which were like milkshakes with eggs and stuff. Um, and, he would, and he would also serve us coffee, which I still drink coffee probably too much because it's so relaxing. Uh, mm. And I, I know, thank you. I feel so, that's wonderful. Um, and, um, and, and I'd look behind me and my dad was like this and he was a big man. So I just felt safe. Right, it was just like, wow, man. I jokingly said it's a line from Robin Williams. I wish I could say it's original, but it was a womb with a view, as they say. Um, so, um, and that's what it felt like. That's what I remember too, those feelings. And that was all shattered when I was six. Don't get me wrong, when he left. But I tasted it. I knew that, wow, that's possible. Like I could feel that, that level of, this is how the universe really is. It's all good. You can kick back, you can relax a little bit, you can watch some caricaturas, cartoons, kick it with your friends and loved ones, and it's all going to be good. Um, and man, that was like, woo, that was just the greatest, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and then, like I said, these episodes happened in my life, 6 and 12. And there were other things, good and bad, that happened in between. But, um, but that's, that's, those are the experiences. And again, Positive, super positive, super traumatic. Um, so I lived my life. I, I, uh, it, it, without getting into a lot of the details, I, I was a pretty good student in high school. I got a couple of scholarships, but I was very much a spiritual seeker. Now I look back and I realize that I was and am, and I'll talk about this at the end about acceptance, but I am and, and was and will be forever <laughs> a nerdy kind of unusual kid. Like, I mean, I just am. My life is very unique in, in its configuration. Um, I, I I went to Santa Rosa Junior College a year and a half, uh, one, you know, one entire school year. And then the, the second, the first semester of the second year, uh, I was taking an English 1B class and um, the teacher and we we're reading all kinds of crazy psychological books. And, all. and I remember thinking, what am I doing here? Like, what is happening? What am I doing here? And I, it was very like super spiritual. Like I felt like Kung Fu, for those of you that remember that TV show. Mm. And it was just a great, like Kwai Chan Kane and all that. And, and, um, and, 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 and I just got up and left this class. I mean, I literally packed up all my books and walked home thinking like I'm, you know, on this big spiritual quest. And then I realized when I got home that I had actually driven to the JC that day. So I had to get my girlfriend to give me a ride back, which was a pain, you know, for her, no doubt. But anyway, God bless her. Um, and so I dropped out of school and I was I was uh, uh, 19 because of, of, of uh, you know, when you're moving around as a field worker, you miss years and you have to make them up and all that. And I didn't go back to school. till I uh, know I was 18 and I didn't go back till I was 27. So those nine years. I did all kinds of work. I, I worked at Sears Automotive. I worked as, at a daycare, put up siding. I did all kinds of stuff. And um, 
And I read everything. I read all, all I could do. I was really intellectually curious, like my father. Um, so that leads me to the second part. The experiences are all of these kind of things. Then I, I want to talk a little bit about what is my it's experience, strength, and hope. What about the strengths? Well, in trying to figure out life from these experiences, both good and bad or whatever, I, I was realizing that I, I picked up on some um, some tools to try to to figure life out, and some of them were actually in in looking back. I don't I don't want to say good or bad. I don't know that those categories apply, but maybe healthy, unhealthy, or less healthy, or whatever. And they all worked. There's a very famous uh, uh, female uh, therapist, and she used to start all her workshops by saying to the people in the audience, everything you've done up to this point has worked. Just remember that. Because if you're here, it's worked. They've worked, period. You know, wherever you are, everything you've done up to this point has worked. So what were my strengths? Uh, I read a lot, like I said. I started to read when I was little and I haven't stopped. I'm reading four or five books right now. Uh, and I'm, I subscribe to maybe eight or 10 um, different magazines, mostly political theory. And my doctorate is in theology and all this stuff. So those are things that I read, economics, everything, um, culture. Um, but reading was always like a a, a, a sanctuary to me. It was like mm -hmm. a, a healing thing. Um in junior high, after my after sixth grade, when that teacher abused me, yelled at me, slapped me around in sixth grade, and I was digging in garbage cans. In seventh grade, in those days, junior high was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. In seventh grade, I met three people: uh, Buzz Cleek, Mr. Patterson, and and Gene. And um, anyway, I still remember Mr. Patterson. He's the guy that most influenced me outside of my parents in terms of as an adult. He was my first. Uh, a science teacher in seventh grade and I still remember these were his exact words in seventh grade my first class he said my name's Mr. Patterson I'm your seventh grade science teacher I don't you don't have to like me but you can't stop me from loving you that's what he said and I remember feeling as most of us do I mean I certainly feel I was traumatized I've been abused I, I felt broken and pardon the language but like shit like I felt like I was worthless and just taking up space. And I remember sort of going, who in the hell is this guy thinking that he can love me? You know, that I'm lovable. What's wrong with this crazy guy? Um, and the running joke, by the way, now is I, I see Hank. His name's, you know, he's Mr. Bat, but Hank. And I tell him, you won, dude. <laughs> you somehow proved to me that I'm lovable, which is what the, you won. And he goes, I knew it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. You know, so, uh, and I, 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 Whenever I walk into every class that I teach, every class, I think of those, I think of him. He's influenced me more than these other teachers, the two teachers that abused me. They're, they're super small in my life now. They're like little ants, which means they can still annoy the hell out of you. <laughs> but they're ants, right? Uh, Hank is my partner in crime and, and education. Um, 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 so I learned how to read. I learned how to help people. I was really good at school, and so they had they got me to help people. Um, it's not by accident that in our book, the last part is we go from hurting to healing to helping. That's true. Uh, there's something even healing in helping. Um, so I learned those 
healthy ways of, of coping. Um, I learned unhealthy ways. I started to drink when I was 12 and 13. I'm in recovery for many years. I still struggle with pornography as an addiction. And um, that's that's an ongoing struggle. Um, I, like I said, I go back. Everything you've done up to this point has worked. It's not that it's not that um, that I think I'm a bad person or anything. And it's not even that I'm a good person or anything like that. It's that those tools that helped me at one time in my life ended up just not working anymore. They weren't helpful. Uh, and yet, as most addictions, you can't let them down, even though they've, they've stopped working. And so it's a matter of not seeing myself as a bad or good person, but as someone that, ah, I just don't want to use these tools anymore. <laughs> you know, they're just not, they weren't, they maybe were useful at one point, but I want to, I want to try other things and, and try other tools, I guess. Um, so those are some, but the other thing I was thinking about in the strength is this, what, what did Hank do? What did booze do? What did any of the, what are the, when I talk about these tools, what did they do for me? What were the strengths I needed and I still need? And this program in ACA offers them to me now uh, in a way that a lot of other places just don't. Some other places do, but a lot of other places don't. So I want to just mention three. One, affirmation. When I was growing up, those incidents that I mentioned, the thing I remember is that for my whole life, people kept saying, it isn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Even in my family, we're in super denial about how horrible those experiences were. Not just for me, because for the whole family. And when I came to ACA, I found people that, that honest to God told me, wow, Renee, that's horrible. And it just felt so freeing to hear someone say, it's horrible. It's horrible what you went through. Um, and, and it's almost like my insides and my outside could match. I felt horrible. But in your family, if they say there's nothing to be afraid of or nothing to feel horrible about and you feel horrible, there's like this massive disconnect. And ACA brought me the reconnect. No, Renee, you felt horrible because it was horrible. And I'm like, damn, I thought I was right. <laughs> I, I thought I was right. Um, and that affirmation of the validity of my experience was so essential to my strength and creating that strength in me. The second was the celebration. Affirmation was one. Celebration was the other. It was about, you're a good guy, Renee. You're a really good guy. Um, and you did crazy, goofy things and some not so good. But you are a good guy. Um, and, and, and I've had to learn that. Uh, one of the things that I've gotten into, I would say in the past three months, I literally, I was, uh, I, I'm single and I want to be in a relationship eventually. We say in Spanish, Dios quiere. But, um, and, and I was thinking, it would be nice to kind of come home and have someone say, I love you, you know? And then I'm like, what the hell? You know, you're here. Might as well. So every so often now I'll say, I love you, Renee. Two or three times, right? Very Catholic, Trinitarian. But anyway, um, and I'll do it throughout the day. And it's weird. It, it helps. I don't know how to explain it. It helps. Um, the, the, um, and the celebration is also about looking back at my, my little Renee and teenage Renee and all of them and sort of loving them, like, like um, celebrating them. 
I'll give you a real quick example. And um, I've always thought that I was awkward with girls and all that stuff. And I, I am awkward in, in many ways with, with women, especially, you know, with romantic relationships and all that. And my brother used to always say, Renee, you got to put yourself out there. You got to be more, you know, like, you know, so you're a cool guy. You should really tell women you're cool. And it's not just not me, man. I just, I'm not going to do that kind of crazy stuff, right? So anyway, my brother, one time, Al, my older brother, he said, Renee, you're the kind of guy, and I love this. I, I you know, Al's very insightful in many, many ways. Um, Al said, you're the kind of guy that when a beautiful woman looks at you, you look behind you. You know, like, what? Looking at, right? And and I, I used to argue with him literally for years. I'd say, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And then about two, three or four years ago, maybe something like that, more, maybe four or five. I said, you know what? I am like that. That is me. I like that guy. I like that guy in movies when I see him. Right? I really like that fucking guy. And I am that guy. So you're right, Al. When a beautiful woman looks at me, I do look behind me. That is the guy I am. And I like that guy. And now I'm going to... I'm also in therapy. I'm an adult child. I know that I'm a sufferer of trauma, and etc. Part of the reason I look behind me is because it's sort of wonderment to me, and I'm humble enough. It's wonderment that someone would find me attractive. That's fabulous. I love that part of Renee. I'm also going to be really honest. Part of sexual abuse victims is that they feel broken. It's almost like the nerve endings that receive sexual and erotic energy are frayed. They're nerve endings. And so they don't receive the information well. So part of why I turn around is that it's almost, I can't get that energy, like I can't let it into me almost. It's it's a not, it's, and that's what I mean. It's not good or bad. It's just not healthy. There's a part of Renee that looks back because I'm wounded and I want to heal that part. So while I celebrate the Renee that's humble and a nice guy, I want to also affirm I got some healing in this area to do. So boom, affirmation, celebration. And then the last strength that I have is presence. And, and by presence, I mean what ACA has given me, not just affirming me and celebrating me, but just being present to me. And um, and that sense of being with someone. Uh, I, like I said, my doctor is in theology. The guy that that um, was my dissertation director is named Roberto. He, he wrote a book called The Theology of Accompaniment. And he says one of the most lost uh, elements of this, all spiritual traditions really, but is the spirit of accompaniment. You know, that that the real good spiritual masters, male or female, doesn't, well, any gender really, we're on a spectrum, right? And all, is, they accompany. There's a, a spirit of accompanying each other, right? Lily Tomlin used to write this as she did a one man, a one woman show years ago. This great comedian, Lily Tomlin, called uh, "Looking Search for Intelligent Life in the Universe" or something like that. It was a great. But anyway, she one of her lines was, "We're all in this together by ourselves." <laughs> it's a great line, and that's it. We're just accompanying each other. You know, Rumi says, we're all, I think it's either Rumi, but he says, you know, we're all accompanying each other our way home, on our way home. It's kind of all we're doing. We're just present to each other. And I don't know if you've ever been at a good ACA meeting, but I'll tell you, that's where you feel present to yourself and to each other. Um, and that strength is what allows me to go into the experienced places that are wounded and begin working with them. 
that's how for me this recovery in this program works is affirmation celebration and presence those are the things that are really like to me super um much a part of this program mm. when you think about it those three things are what a good parent would do for a child affirm celebrate and be present to and what do we say in the in the book it was read right we learn to reparent ourselves so we learn to do that you guys have taught me all that do it this way Renee. try it this way do it this way right that kind of stuff so that's part of what this is about for me is reparenting and doing those things affirming celebrating and being present to um and that's so powerful I can't even tell you how powerful that is and then so that's experience strength and then the last is the hope and for me that's more like well what's um you know I'm, I'm 61 I you know Carl Jung used to talk about at one point Carl Jung used to talk about turning towards the tomb that was a term he used turning towards the tomb and it really is truthful that at a certain point you realize well I'm closer to the finish line whatever that means in the starting line in at least in this place so okay um I'm reading a book right now called from soul from role to soul and it's a, a Jungian perspective on aging but anyway I told you I read a lot. I'm gonna I read a lot. Uh, by the way, I'll tell you this funny story real quick, and then I want to get to that. And that is, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but in the I think it was in the 90s or 80s, uh, this guy named John Bradshaw did some PBS stuff, and it was fantastic. And he used to tell this wonderful story about people, and he said people like us. And all I can say is, I'm people like us. That's the guy. Who, he says we're the kind of people that when we die and go to heaven, I mean, when we die, there'll be two doors, and one will say heaven, and one will say lecture on heaven, and I'm the kind of person that I might want to actually go to the lecture, but <laughs> I will try not to. But uh, um, but I'm reading a book right now because it's a good way to, for me to, to do some healing. But anyway, um, with the hope, um, with the hope, um, it's about sort of like what what's 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 coming up for me in a good way, right? And um, and. Some of you have heard this. I know, T.D., you've heard this before, but there's a wonderful story. It comes from the Jewish Midrash traditions, the oral traditions. Um, and so, you know, so the names aren't as important the way I heard it. And I don't even know if this is the, but is about a rabbi and his name's Rabbi Mordecai. And he he was talking to his students and he says, uh, when I die, he goes, when I die, I really think that my, his name's Rabbi Mordecai. And rabbi Mordecai is talking to his students and says, when I die, I really think my creator is not going to ask me, why weren't you more like Moses or Abraham? My creator is going to ask me, why weren't you more like Rabbi Mordecai? <laughs> you know, why weren't you more you? Um, and that's the hope that that when I, before I die, I have a pretty good handle on this Renee Sanchez guy. You know, like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I hear you, baby. You know, I can go to any of my rooms, internal rooms, and inhabit them with some comfort um and, and i can kind of be be good you know it's like hey what's up what's up you know um i think more and more my life is about accessing the energy of that i have within me in all these ways the playful renee the serious renee the student any of it all of it the erotic renee all of it um but to be really me um 
And I think that's what we find. That's the, the self that, that they talk about in the book. The um, authenticity. That's what my life is about. Now, I don't worry about, I still have anxiety, sometimes severe. Okay, whatever. That may never change. But is it me having it? Or is it me having it? And then all these 30 voices saying what an idiot I am that I have it. They don't need to be there anymore. Just have it. <laughs> right? Just that's it. Okay. Or don't have it. I don't know. Maybe once those voices will go, some of that anxiety will go too. I don't know. Just be you. Be you. You know? Um, so that's one. The second one is acceptance. And like I said, acceptance for me is about um just seeing the the, the big picture, the whole picture. All of it is for uh, a reason. I was talking to my sponsor. I have a, uh, not sponsor, sponsee, an AA sponsee that I have. And he said that he was talking to me about his fear of death. And he said, one of the things that gave him hope, and I said, hey, I'll take anything you have because I'm I'm worried about it too. And he said, is that when he read, he's, he read a couple of books on near-death experiences. And he says, almost a lot, one of the refrains was, as they were kind of exiting the stage left, so to speak, they would say something like this, some, some, something around this. Wow, it all makes sense. Wow, now it all makes sense. And I look back at my life, even up to this point, and there are things that when I was 12, I couldn't understand why they were happening. And now they make sense. I'm not saying they feel better. They make sense. There's a woman that... Uh, that I knew that I, I used to do massage and stress therapy as a, you know, I had a private practice for a number of years. And she said, you know, I still have the scars of my childhood, but now they found a place on my complexion. <laughs> that was a hell of a lie. Um, uh, and I asked her if I could use it. This was decades ago. And she said, yes, so I'm using it. But, uh, um, but it's, a, it's acceptance. It's seeing that it's all part of a piece. Um, and I think ACA is really good at that. It just sits. We talked about the presence. It has helped me make sense and accept me in, in, in all my facets. There's something wonderful about that. I don't know how to explain it, but it gives me hope that I, that, that world can keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, and I think about acceptance as to some degree, not always, but to some degree, things about my past. Acceptance of things about my past. But the third hope that I have is awareness. So there's authenticity, acceptance, and awareness. And awareness is about the present. It's about being here. You know, there's an old uh, Eastern mystic guy named Ram Das who was wonderful in my life too. And he, he had a book, one of his books was called Be Here Now. And, um, and I remember John Bradshaw also in, in one of his stories that he would tell, he said he was a, he's a recovering alcoholic too. And he said, Someone asked him one time if he'd ever had an out-of-body experience. And he said, I'm I'm an addict. He said, I, I've barely been in my body. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so the hell. And uh, and uh, it's awareness, it's about being here. So if acceptance is about what's past, awareness is about where am I now? And that includes a shoulder that is hurts a lot sometimes. I think I have some arthritis. Um, I'm going to live with certain pains from now till the end. It's just the nature of growing old. Um, it's 
It's acceptance, but it's also an awareness of it. It's an awareness of it. Um, one of the weirdest things about when you study scripture is that uh, one way to understand it is that people always talk about wealth and poverty. The danger that one of the dangers that's mentioned within scripture about wealth isn't isn't just wealth. It's what it does to people. And one of the things it does to people is it distances them from suffering. And when you distance yourself from your own suffering, you can inflict suffering on others more easily. That's the danger. So to stay in touch with one's suffering is really important to me. You don't wallow in it. You're in touch with it. You're in touch with it. Um, that's awareness. It also brings, as I get older, the awareness of the nice things, the good things, um, this great cup of coffee I have. Um, I'm going in June on a cruise. I've, I've only been on two other vacations in my life. I'm 61 years old. I've only had two vacations in my life. I'm going on a cruise to Alaska. Um, I'm terrified and really excited. And, uh, but I'm going to, I hopefully will show up there. I mean, my body will show up, but I hope I show up. Um, and that's what I mean about the awareness piece. So to me, that's my hope is that can I live a life that's authentic to myself and to other people, accepting to myself and other people, and aware of myself and other people? Um, and then the, the last piece, and I'll end with this is, um, and this is the part of me that's my spiritual traditions of various kinds, whether it's, you know, is the legacy piece. Um, I truly, truly aspire and this is the, the the last, you know, remember we go from hurting to healing to helping. Helping's the end. I really aspire to leave the world a better place than I than when I came in. Um, and if I do that, well, what the hell? Then it's good. You know, in, in, in Pelucha España, we say in Spanish, you know, it's all, it's all good. As the young the students that I teach, I always say, oh, Dr. Sanchez, it's all good, isn't it? And I'm like, it really is all good. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> um, if I can do that, I'm happy, you know, um, and that that'll be my legacy. It's okay. I don't have kids, and I, I'm a teacher, and I've taught thousands of kids. Really, um, I've been very, very blessed. Um, and and like I said, it's it's okay. It's it's good. It's all good. Um, I want to leave the place better than I found it, um, and I think that would be good. I couldn't have done any of this that I mentioned without ACA, and I hope that I. I touched base enough on the program, but I also hope you got something else from it too. Maybe I hope and pray. Anyway, that's it.